0: alaikum. You are listening to Momming Well Muslim, a podcast designed with the Muslim American parent in mind, addressing how to raise Muslim American kids born into a post 9/11 world. We will cover topics ranging from potty training to politics, and no topic is off limits. Along with our expert guests, we'll discuss what's new in the Muslim American diaspora, or just. What's new at our own kitchen tables? Join us, Seba Hassan. and knows Jaffrey, Joffrey. Who have a combined eight kids and 25 years of parenting experience. As well as just enough crazy between them while they pioneered this journey we call "Mommy, Wal-Muslim. Assalamualaikum everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy While well Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma. Assalamualaikum everyone. We are super excited to introduce today um, the Deputy Director of the Islamic Network Group um, in the Bay Area, Ishaq Pratan, who has joined us today to talk about um, school bullying, uh, particularly when it comes to Muslim kids. Welcome, Ishaq, to the show. As-salamu
1: Alaikum. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: So, um, on the West Coast, I think we're really familiar with uh, what the Islamic Network Group is, but I'm from the Southwest. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Islamic Network Group offers to the Muslim community in America?
1: Sure. So, we are a community-based organization. We're based in the Bay Area. Uh, We were founded in 1993, and we work to pursue peace through education and interfaith and intercultural engagement uh, among Americans of diverse backgrounds. And so, um, whereas there are many organizations that work to address the issues of Islamophobia through civil rights or through research, we primarily want to address Islamophobia through education. And that mainly revolves around um, trying to preventatively address those underlying beliefs and attitudes that then give rise to Islamophobic behavior, essentially, and hateful acts that can occur. And so we do this in a variety of ways, primarily through establishing relationships with various public and private sectors of our society um, to enable them to best work with Muslim communities. So this includes teachers, Uh, We do a ton of most of our work in schools where we supplement the education and the curriculum about Muslims and Islam and other world religions in schools. Um, We do work with law enforcement agencies to work with American Muslims to counter Islamophobia. We do work with healthcare agencies, corporations, and then other um, information about Muslims and Islam to the general public, whether that be houses of worship or other places uh, to spread information about Muslim Islam and other world religions to counter the stereotypes that we see uh, all too prevalent. I grew up in a very non-Muslim environment, like a very uh, suburban, kind of not very diverse uh, environment in Connecticut. Because I was in that diverse environment, or not very diverse environment, uh, with a lot of misconceptions that people had, I was also subject to kind of a lot of misinformation about Muslims and Islam that you know resulted in different aspects of bullying. But when I first moved in seventh grade, I remember a lot of students would kind of remark about comments relating to me and uh, and being a terrorist, and they were mainly jokes. But obviously, some jokes can be taken a little too far. So I remember one time at lunch, this one student had commented, he said, I wonder how skinny Ishaq would be without the bomb strapped to his chest. Uh, Which is a comment, you know, really... And
0: this is pre-9-11, right?
1: No, this is all post-9-11. This is in 2007. So it was a comment, you know, relating to my physical appearance in terms of my weight, but also in terms of my religion. And this was a friend, it wasn't like a stranger. So I think that was an unfortunate comment. So I think you you just kind of have to deal with a lot of like experiences and, and things like that. And I think that's very common to the majority of Muslim students growing up in um, in the United States today.
0: Let's kind of segue into what are the considerations for our kids who are growing up now in this post 9-11 era where the rhetoric is getting more and more hostile towards Muslims in schools. Like, can you talk about some of the research that ING has done, some of the um, ways that they've come to address this Islamophobia in schools for our
1: kids? We don't do the research in terms of like you know studies for students but we do address uh the situations of muslim students with bullying and so a couple of things um i was first brought on to work at ing to work on uh the youth program and so that's my main thing with coming into the organization was to specifically address and work with muslim students to deal with their school environments and their situations the climate of bullying in the united states on a whole, is really negative. I mean, you have 20 to 30% of students who are bullied for one reason or another, whether that be their physical appearance, their um, sexual orientation, their gender, race, all sorts of issues that could relate, intelligence, all sorts of issues that could relate to bullying. And so then for Muslim students, that number increases. And so there was a a report done by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, and it found that 42% of parents muslim parents report that their child has been bullied in the past year and 42 percent is a pretty large number and there's multiple considerations to this is that this is muslim parents reporting this about their children and so you can imagine how many children are going through experiences that are not telling their parents so that is a very minimum lowball number of which is probably much higher when you add in that other component a study by CARE California found that 53% of students uh, have experienced bullying or being ridiculed for their Muslim faith. And California and think is. I
0: California is super progressive. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so then you now again have a high number with a pretty, like, when bearing in mind the considerations, recognizing that in other states, um, that number is also probably a lot higher. Um, one thing that was really shocking. Was that there was a report done in 2015 that found that one third of Muslim students, Muslim female students who wear a hijab or a headscarf, uh, have reported it being offensively pulled or tugged. So that's you know 30, 30 percent, 30 to 33 percent of Muslim students that have been you know physically harassed or harmed in terms of their hijab which is which is shocking.
0: I think there's a legal precedent out of Illinois actually where a Muslim student had her hijab pulled off and it was considered sexual assault.
1: Which it should be I mean the way in which these things manifest are are usually verbal with comments or epithets around terrorism or being killers in like the most You know, elementary cases, it could be microaggressions, simply just assuming various things about the Muslim in terms of where they are from and things like that. And then it's also really important to keep in mind that this bullying of their Muslim identity is compounded with bullying of other identities that they may have. If you have an African-American Muslim student, they may deal with bullying related to their religion, but also to their race or um, a Muslim female student would deal with bullying relating to her gender or to her her religion or, or many other factors that could play a role So just bearing in mind, I think that all of these components of people's identities are targets. And unfortunately, in this environment, they're ready to be targeted. And unfortunately, in this environment, they are being targeted.
0: When you're saying environment, can you kind of um, expound on that a little bit?
1: A lot of this bullying is, is as a result of, is a micro component of the greater context that all American Muslims are experiencing in America, which is negative public sentiment about Muslims and Islam. So a 2017 poll found that Muslims were rated the most negatively of all religious groups. And this is compared to atheists, Mormons, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and others. And so out of all these groups, people are least warm, least open to Muslims and Islam. Another poll from 2016 found that only 19% of Americans have a favorable view of Islam. Uh, So that means there's only 2 out of 10 people that think that you know, Islam is a positive force in the country or in the world. Um, and most are unsure or most are have an unfavorable view and some are unsure. There's a lack of education about Muslims and Islam. Uh, so even in like more liberal environments, there still is a lot of misinformation that goes on around Muslims and Islam so much so that people may be willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, but if they were pressed on a question, they would not be able to really answer or recognize like the positive things about Muslims and Islam because they don't know anything about it. Another thing, uh, I think, are you know the spread of false narratives in the media, uh, and so if you just look at, like for example, um, Muslims and Islam, one common stereotype, Muslims and Islam are always related to terrorism. And if you look at the percentage of terrorism cases that go on in the country and then the percentage of terrorism cases that involve Muslims, those that involve Muslims uh, are 42% more likely to be covered. So in that regard, the data or the, the reality is not showing that Muslims have a monopoly on terrorism, but the media coverage would be pushing that narrative that they do. And so as a result, there are many people in America who are just, you know, fearing and saying, oh, you know, we just want to be safe. And Islam is coming to our country to, you know, ruin our way of life and so on. So there's also um, remarks by politicians that you see on even national stages that make comments about the negative component of Muslims and Islam. And then one more uh, briefly is an Islamophobia network. And so we need to recognize that there's a lot of money that's put into this. Uh, and so there have, over the last few years, there has been two to three hundred million dollars, hundreds of million dollars put into the spread and demonization of Muslims in Islam in the United States.
0: I'm like... I'm glad I'm sitting down because two to three hundred million dollars is not nowhere near what I imagine they're investing towards, as you called it, demonizing Muslims. I'm floored. We spend so much money and so much effort and time into building masajid and Islamic schools, but you know, there's, like you said, this entire campaign, a network um, that is devoted and committed to um, Islamophobia. And I don't think we have anything like that where we're trying to market Muslims as better
1: you know, there are more and more organizations that are addressing all of these issues from various lenses. And so I could talk a little bit more about our grassroots work, um, in a bit, but what, you know, there, there are organizations that are really trying to mobilize American Muslim political leaders that can hopefully, um, you know, turn the tide in the political system. There are others that are doing work, uh, on the media and trying to produce more positive coverage about Muslims. There are obviously organizations doing civil rights work. So where we are now as a Muslim community in 2019, in terms of the the number of institutions that we have to address this issue, is actually a lot more than maybe we did before. And so it's only going to keep growing. And I think it is positive to recognize that, you know, the number and the capacity and capabilities of the Muslim community now, in terms of, their ability to to identify these problems and then really work towards solutions for them.
0: I think my fear is that we're too late. Mm. I feel like we're swimming upstream, you know, like so much has already happened and we were silent for so long just out of fear you know, just lay low and this shall pass. I do like that um, Islamic Network Group um, provides um, education. Like, that's their their big thing. In that respect, the way I've been trained with their materials is to say this is our prevention of Islamophobia. Because the more people we reach, the more schools and churches we go to, um, the better chance, especially in the classroom, you know, we have these young uh, porous minds available to meet a Muslim and like, you know, bust down all of their stereotypes, like just with an introduction. Um, the, the resources that ING provides are so good. And, you know, we have organizations like the Council of American Islamic Relations, which also does great work. And we talked about them a couple of weeks ago on the show and they're more reactive, right? Which is good. You need both, you know, but I think there needs to be more emphasis on that preventive, um, the proactive, uh, source where we're actually going out. And some of us did grow up excited to be the person in the classroom that talked about Islam, but then to have a standardized set of presentations, um, is really helpful because then everybody's kind of on the same page and saying the same thing, going out and doing it, um, for people because, you know, that's the only way we're going to counter the rhetoric. You know, if people meet a real Muslim, and they, you know, see the the presentations, uh, the facts that they're not getting on the news and in the media, film, or what you, what have you, from these ne- Islamophobic networks. Um, it just, it makes a huge difference. And you can do this, make this huge change in 40 minutes. And I think it's been tested really well. What is it, Isakh? Pre-presentation and post-presentation statistics. Um, three years ago, I remember it was something like um, the students in the classroom's Understood Islam 86% better after the presentation than before. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have some current. Uh, materials
1: on that our most recent studies we found that the percentage of audience thinking that Muslims and Islam promotes violence drops by 75%
0: that's amazing and
1: then the percentage of those thinking that American Muslims are a you know integral part of this country increases by 30% kind of have uh, an increase of positive attitudes and a decrease of negative attitudes after these presentations
0: that's really good
1: so there was a study done by the University of Stanford and Berkeley Where they looked at the impact of just you know small conversations with people, face-to-face interaction, and it was I looking at a transgender uh, group that would go to doors and would just basically do what's called deep canvassing there, where they would knock on someone's door, they would have a short conversation with them, and they found that after a ten-minute conversation and the attitudes that they that those people had about transgender people increase after that 10 minute conversation. They, they had more positive attitudes. And what's really important is they did another survey three months later and they found that those positive attitudes remained. even something as simple as a face-to-face like 10 minute conversation where you're just expressing your you know your own self authentically showing up and, and, and connecting with someone else. Uh, that can have deep impacts in terms of how they view you as well as how they view other parts of your identity and components of that. Um, So I think there's something really powerful to that. What are
0: some signs that kids are being bullied at school?
1: A couple of things, like some of the most obvious things would be if, you know, the child doesn't want to go to school for kind of an unexpected reason, or if they stop enjoying things that they used to enjoy. And this is a common, you know, thing for any sort of issue with the psychological um, problem, whether it be, um, depression or anxiety, it's, you know, not gaining joy in things that you gain joy once at a time. Uh, I think like a sudden decline in academic performance, any sort of unexplained bruises, you know, just getting more depression or crying spells. Another thing that's really interesting is like, if they complain about physical pain, uh, that's unexpected, that also can relate to bullying. And I'm not saying like, oh, like, you know, they got punched, so like their head is hurting. So like stomach aches. Or headaches if you're like hey like my stomach is really hurting and that could be an, an indication and so I think that's one of those like things that maybe well we might be prone to move overlook that we should maybe take more seriously if a, if a child is complaining about that and so I think open communication with with children is, is really important so that they do feel comfortable explaining what's going on if something is going on another thing that is important how a parent is going to deal with the situation after is just as important as as them even expressing the situation so we we need to involve children in our solutions process so we need to work together with with our students to think through what is the best way that we can address the situation that will make sense for everyone if the child is like i do want you to talk to that other student's parents and i want to be there then that's a great solution one thing that's important for parents to know is like that If the child does want their parent to be involved, especially at the school, then the parents do have a lot of power when it comes to that. And I think there are a lot of parents from, you know, primarily like immigrant backgrounds don't really understand the level of power that they may have in a school. And so if they will, you know, say something to the school and the school doesn't do anything, then what they should do is just continue kind of following up the chain of command to make sure something happens.
0: And I think that's important. I think a lot of parents don't know that the school has a legal obligation to protect the student regardless of the race, religion, ethnicity. Um, if a parent has a child that is being bullied, and like you said, the um, child has asked for the parent to be involved, what are the next steps?
1: I think it's to deal with it within the school as best as you can. So first going to the teacher, and then if the teacher's not doing anything, I say like go to the principal, then the superintendent, the just the chain of command. If nothing in the school is happening, then um, going to the media is another thing. I don't, again, I don't recommend this, especially on first instance, but if you've been trying for a while and the situation of your, your student, your child is still there and the school is really unresponsive, then putting pressure in an external way through um, media attention is something that that people can do
0: is it as easy as calling up your news station
1: yeah i mean reporters are always looking for stories like this it's local it's interesting and it is relevant to that community
0: and then whether or not you involve care kind of depends on what's being done to the child
1: yeah and i think there are many um organizations, it's kind of also just recognizing like who's in your area and then just talking to them. And so um, if it's a very serious case of civil rights or, or things that involving care is a great idea or another civil rights organization in your area, sometimes the student needs mental health counseling because of the psychological issues that have been they have been affected by. And so if there are Muslim therapists in the area that can deliver therapy in a culturally competent way, that's that's a great resource as well.
0: Tell me this. There's been incidences, multiple, uh, about adults bullying kids on campus, and this can come anywhere from administration to teachers, either mm-hmm. in the classroom or on social media. Does ing have any way to address this?
1: Yeah. So a couple of things with that. Number one, out of I mentioned the report um, of forty two percent Muslim parents report their child has been bullied. Uh, Twenty five of those forty two percent have involved a teacher. Uh, so a high percentage of uh, one fourth of the of the actual bullying incidents do involve some sort of administrator or teacher which is awful because that's just so much worse it's so much worse to have a teacher with the power dynamic that is involved in a classroom any bullying is amplified so much if a teacher is also involved and complicit in that bullying uh, because it gives the students who are doing it more power to do it as well as normalizes that behavior so that it's okay
0: I hope everybody's listening. The person who's in charge, it matters what you say because everybody's listening. I love that you said that because each of us has such a responsibility for what comes out of our mouths and what we do with our limbs because everybody is watching. And if we are in a position of power, we're going to influence so many more people and we need to make sure that it's positive and doesn't end up in, I don't know mass shootings.
1: People don't recognize in terms of what their what their level of responsibility is when they pick up like a microphone or they, they get in front of a room uh, or get on a podium. It can really be detrimental when people abuse that.
0: And that's why we have Islamic Network Group to help <laughs> with exactly that kind of bullying that happens internationally, nationally, and then locally right there in our classrooms.
1: I wanted to add a, a thing about how, you know, if there's a situation of bullying oh, for a teacher, then it's important for the teacher to understand like what is their behavior and so we we will go in and do you know seminars and workshops with teachers essentially on on navigating how to best address the school and the muslim students in the school give them an understanding of islam and muslims as well as um, things about accommodations and other things like that so that they hopefully can recognize how the climate relates to muslims and um how to not contribute to the muslim environment that that Goes on. We had
0: a local teacher who, um, a parent reported to the superintendent of their district because um, she had done something insensitive in the class or said something insensitive. And that district responded by creating an in service for all of their teachers
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and said, You will come to this ING educator training. So I had to provide that to them because, and the teachers had like so many good questions and i'm talking like elementary and middle school teachers who had no idea but they're in a district where there's a lot of muslim students so it was surprising to me but i was so glad um, that the district responded in that way now that's not going to happen everywhere unless i think parents push for it and know that a resource like ing is available
1: i did just want to touch a little bit more about The work that we do with Muslim students, I was hired initially to work on the youth program and that was to work with Muslim students to improve their school environments. And so we had recognized that, you know, Muslim students are experiencing Islamophobia at a collective conscious level by being just Muslim and recognizing the anxieties of that in America. They may be experiencing on an an individual level in terms of bullying in their schools and they have a role to play in in doing something about this so we thought of how you know it's really important also to raise resilient children so that you know they can experience situations of bullying and other things and the more resilient they are the less effective they will be to you know the environment and the challenges that they they have we decided to create this program that basically does workshops with muslim students and trains them to become more resilient to deal with situations of bullying that they might encounter or witness as well as to spread positive information about muslims and islam these situations of bullying will be like okay a student in runs in the hallway and pretends to blow himself up and yells allahu akbar what do you do and so we'll kind of talk through like how best they would they would deal with the situation in their environment and the goal of this is to come up with a solution where you know i have solutions but to come up with a solution that they feel confident about that they feel like they've contributed to so they're more likely to actually do it because if we just sit there and tell them hey like if this happens you do this how much of that is actually going to be effective when you know the time comes for them to actually act and then the next thing that we do are, are just trainings where we, Uzma, I believe you were saying that you go out and you do presentations about Muslims and Islam to teachers or uh, to students about Muslims and Islam. We train these students to do them themselves so that a young middle, middle school student learns how to address the misconceptions about Islam and Muslims that they deal with and learns to give presentations in their own schools essentially and community settings which gives them a sense of, of power uh, in a world, I think, that often takes away power from Muslim students.
0: I wish there had been a resource like that for us when we were in school and told to stand up and talk about everything we know about Islam. I know I said a lot of stuff that was wrong. Um, <laughs> so having a standardized training is probably really helpful and empowering to these students. So I hope that more um, big cities will uh have these trainings for their um, students, their youth, because again the more tools we have the more proactive our kids can be and the less susceptible um, they are to uh, the Islamophobia that's out there. I'm so glad that you talked to us today and I look forward to uh, looking up a lot of the resources um, that I cite, we're going to be citing on our show notes um, at the end of this episode. Um, I hope you got to look at them, but most of them are off straight off the ING or Care website, um, so that students know what their rights are in school, how to address bullying, and what, as parents, we can do for them when that happens. Thanks again, Isak, for joining us today. I appreciate your time and everything that you're doing for our kids today.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. As-salamu alaykum, everyone.